If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 529. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Give me that email address while you're there. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. Click on that. Support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Throw a few pennies my way. Get, get a book plate. If you want my autograph for one of my books, I've got a lot of those. You can support the show that way. Buy a book. You've got uh, The Jeffersonian Tradition, Southern Scribblings, etc., etc. A lot of books, right? Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America, The Founding Fathers' Guide to the Constitution, The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Founding Fathers, Forgotten Conservatives in American History, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Real American Heroes. So much good stuff. You got to get it. You can also go to McClanahan Academy, which you've already heard about. Pick up a class or 12, and that way you can help support the show, and you get great content when you do that. It's like getting all kinds of cool podcasts. I know you got to pay for it, but it's getting all kinds of cool stuff. If you like the podcast, you're going to love the classes, right? I mean, it's, it's the same thing, uh, though in more in-depth oftentimes. So that's great stuff. Of course, get a shirt or some type of cool coffee cup or something like that. Click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo. Christmas is coming up. Those make great gifts for that Brian McClanahan show fan. And as always, share the podcast around on social media. Rate it where you get your podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. That's how we spread the word. That's how we get this audience to grow organically. That's what we need. We need more listeners. So go out there and do that now. If people trust you, if you say, hey, that Brian McClanahan guy is great. I listen to his podcast all the time. Your friends might listen to it. Oh, I got to check this out. Your family, oh, I got to check this out. And if everybody did that in this audience and you got just two people to listen to it, I mean, that would be great. Then those two people get two people. And we grow this thing exponentially. In short order, we're Joe Rogan. I doubt that. But anyways, it's kind of funny to say. All right, so let's talk about a... Um, a uh, Topic that I've been on quite a bit recently, and that is the situation with the Claremont Institute. And Claremont now has become the dominant, I think, organization in conservative conservative America, right? Conservative circles. They are the dominant organization. You've got Heritage Foundation. You've got ISI. You still have groups out there that certainly have a lot of pull, and they get a lot of money. Um, so for conservatives, you got I mean, Heritage has a big endowment. So does Claremont, ISI, same thing. Liberty Fund, which has a lot of money, shades a little more libertarian most of the time, but still good. Um, I mean, regardless, I like I like those people too. And uh, but you've got um, and then you've got uh, Hillsdale College, which has a lot of money. So these are the big these are the big boys. Now the Claremont Institute and Hillsdale are pretty simpatico, right? I mean these two organizations are in line with each other. And I've got friends that teach at Hillsdale, uh, and so you know there's some good people there. I don't I think the Straussians at Hillsdale are wrong. Uh, 
And I don't mind telling them that. I think Larry Arn is wrong. I think their vision of the Constitution is wrong. Uh, their vision of the American founding is wrong. But regardless, I know there's good people at Hillsdale. So I preface all that to say, I mean, yeah, look, I realize there's good people in all. There's good people at ISI. In fact, Daniel McCarthy, great guy. I like Daniel Dan McCarthy. Um, so, I mean, there's good people out there. The problem is the skewed vision of the founding from the Claremonters, the Jaffaites, the Hillsdale people who are in that school, right, in that, in that circle that agree with these things. Not all people do in all these organizations. But anyways, this is the problem. And there's an interview that the Atlantic did with the head of the Claremont Institute, Ryan Williams. And I want to talk about that. This is from October 5th. It's published at the Atlantic. And I want to get into a few things that he says here because again, if you're going to if you're going to win, you can't fight the war on the left's terms. Now, they will say they're not doing it. But they are. Because if you operate from a position that the United States is an idea, well, you're going to lose. Because an idea is an amorphous thing. An idea is something that can be ever-evolving and changing. Barack Obama can stand up and say, we're going to continue remaking America. Why? Because if America is an idea, then the idea can always move. Equity becomes important, not equality. We're going to move on from equality to equity. We talked about that this week. That's what we're getting to, right? That's the idea. That's the proposition nation. All men are created equal. You bring this up in class, and everybody does it. Now, I think this is commonplace. I mean, I talk to, to colleagues who are really apolitical. Well, yeah, in class today, I brought up uh, that, uh, you know, we showed that clip on uh, on things and uh, talking about, uh, you know, all men are created equal. And, yeah, I mean, they had this conflict. So everybody does it now, right? It's commonplace. And the students have been told this since they're five. The founders never lived up to this. The founders never did it. And this is essentially what the Claremont people are doing. They're agreeing with that. Yeah, I mean, this was... All men are created equal, um, you know, but they never lived up to it. I mean, it was there. They really believed it, but they didn't know what to do about it. I would say they didn't really believe it. In fact, the evidence is there that they didn't. And even if they did for a very brief period, they quickly went back on it and said, no, 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 we don't agree with this. Wait, wait, wait. This is a dumb thing. We didn't mean that. So let's get into this. This essay written by Emma Green. She's interviewing Ryan Williams. Let me start big. The mission of the Claremont Institute is to save Western civilization, says Ryan William. Williams, the organization's president, looking at the camera in a crisp Navy suit. We've always aimed high. A trumpet blares. America's founding documents flash across the screen. Welcome to the intellectual home of America's Trumpist right. As Donald Trump rose to power, the Claremont Universe, which sponsors fellowships and publications, including the Claremont Review of Books and the American Mind, rose with him, publishing essays that seemed to capture why the president appealed to so many Americans in attempting to map out a political philosophy or map a political philosophy onto his presidency. Williams and his cohort are on a mission to tear down and remake the right. They believe that America has been riven in two fundamentally different countries, not least because of the rise of secularism. The founders were pretty unanimous, with Washington leading the way, that the Constitution is really only fit for a Christian people, Williams told me. It's possible that violence lies ahead. I worry about such a conflict, Williams told me. The Civil War was terrible. 
It should be the thing we try to avoid almost at all costs. Now, first of all, let me say this about the founders as Christian. Now, the founding generation were primarily Christians. Washington was a deist. He didn't come out and say Christianity was going to save America. Uh, but I, I mean, I do say the founders generally, the founding generation generally were Christians. Jefferson wasn't. Washington wasn't. John Adams wasn't. Hamilton, sort of, maybe at the end of his life. Franklin certainly wasn't. So the big six in the founding generation weren't really Christians. You did have people that were. Patrick Henry was, for example. Roger Sherman was, for example. I mean, we could go down the list. We had a lot of people who weren't. And they created a secular government, a secular federal government that could absorb the differences of religion and society and still work. Washington, more importantly, excuse me, was a Republican with a lowercase r. That was his dominant position, a Republican. So the author continues, that almost is worth noting. The ideal endgame would be to effect a realignment of our politics and take control of all three branches of government for a generation or two, Williams said. Trump has left office, at least for now, but those he inspired are determined to recapture power in American politics. My conversation with Mr. Williams has been condensed and lightly edited for clarity. Emma Green, what do you see as the threats to Western civilization? Ryan Williams, the one we have focused on at Claremont is the progressive movement. Progressives think that limited government in the founder's sense, checks and balances, robust federalism, a fairly fixed view of human nature and the rights attendant to it, all has to give way to a notion that rights evolve with the times. The biggest institutional part of the progressive movement is this large bureaucracy or administrative state which is insulated from control by the executive or even increasingly by Congress. I would say the leading edge of progressivism now is this kind of woke social justice anti-racism. It's a threat to limited government because it seems to take its lead from scholars like Ibram Kendi, who has proposed a department of anti-racism, that would basically have carte blanche control over local and state governments. His definition of racism is any policy that results in disparate, disparate outcomes for different groups. And we take issue with that. You always have different outcomes between different groups. Human nature is varied. We all have different talents. The pursuit of equal results is only going to be successful in a new woke totalitarianism. I realize that sounds like a little hyperbolic, but that seems to be the road we're on. Now, I would agree... With almost with probably 99% of that, the founders sense they believed in checks and balances, robust federalism, and a fairly fixed view of human nature and the rights attendant to it. So that opens the door for what they thought. But all the rest of it, I agree with what they're saying here. So then she says, we're going to unpack woke totalitarianism in a second, but I want to make sure I'm understanding your starting point correctly. When you say Western civilization, it sounds like you're not necessarily describing people situated in, in geography or time, but rather a set of ideas that you believe are falling out of fashion or are being actively destroyed by various forces in society. Am I getting you right? Williams, you can never really divorce a set of ideas and principles from the people in which it grew up. America is an idea, but it's not just that. It's the people who settled it, founded it, and made it flourish. So that's a, a key point of this particular, this exchange right here. So the lefty, Green, 
says that uh, Western civilization, you're talking about an idea, set of ideas, not a set of ideas, traditions, traditions. That's what Western civilization is, it's traditions. This is when the founding generation talked about why they wanted to get away from the British Empire, why they wanted their independence. It was because the empire was violating the ancient constitutions, things that had been talked about in 1689 with the English Bill of Rights or the Magna Carta. Because in the, in the English Bill of Rights, if people actually read it, they talk about those things in that document, and they're referring back to the Magna Carta and the traditions that have been established over time that created that particular document. This is, this is, the, the Declaration is, is, only, is only about 90 years after that. It's not that long. It's not that far away. I mean, where we're getting to a point now where World War II was about that time period away. It's not that far. We still think about it in those, in those ways. So America is not an idea, but this is what William says it is. America is an idea. But it's not just that. It's the people who settled it, who founded it, and made it flourish. So it's tradition, but it's also an idea. Well, I don't think the founding generation would ever say that America is an idea. Ah, oh, let's have this idea thing. In fact, you could argue 100% against that in the Declaration when the proposition nation is... So we can get into all of that and how Lincoln ran with that, but that's not what Jefferson intended. But America is not an idea because they talk about it. Jefferson and, and, and Henry and the Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death, which is in 26 speeches that changed America, you got to get that class. It's also in, I think I put it in my Southern intellectual, cultural and intellectual history too. But anyways, America is not an idea, okay? Um. America was wrestling with the traditions and customs that had been established, and these things were being violated. In fact, he says, government should not be changed for light and transient causes. If it's an idea, then that leads to that. Well, in my mind, America should be this. In my mind, America should be that. Well, wait a second here. What traditions are being violated? What customs and precedents are being violated? That's important. Then Green, just ask the question directly. Do you mean white people? <laughs> I mean, how stupid, right? These, these people on the left are the ones that have race on the brain all the time. They can't get around it. And white people becomes a pejorative. And that's how stupid it is. I mean, can you imagine any other group of people, if you said it like that, oh my gosh, but it's a pejorative now. And so that's dangerous for society. It's very dangerous for all of society to have anybody have that attitude for any group of people in the United States. No, not necessarily, William says. I mean, Western civilization happens to be where a lot of white people are historically, but I don't think there's any necessary connection between the two. The ability to believe in natural rights and a regime of limited government the way the founders did is not reserved only to white people. So this is important because this English tradition, this Anglo-American tradition does apply. Look, the, the, the British themselves believed, this is Blackstone saying this, that when you step foot on English soil, you became an English citizen, you received all the blessings of that. didn't matter who you were. You received those blessings and you learned the English way. And the English way was superior. It was excellence. And I talked about this last week with Pericles and the funeral oration. It was excellence. That is what made Athens great. 
you stepped on American soil and you became you became part of this push for excellence. Now, the Athenians limited that to people that were Athenian citizens, but they always strove for excellence. Now, the British expanded it out. It was that drive for excellence, though, that made everything important. And yes, Europeans primarily created this, right? I mean, you can't get around that. Western civilization is European-centered, but it doesn't mean it's just going to have to apply to Europeans. Europeans tried to apply it to all kinds of parts of the world. Now, with success and not success. I mean, so they were successful in some ways and unsuccessful in other ways. Because, again, there's cultural limitations to this, I think. So you believe that there are American citizens of other backgrounds who belong in Western civilization, not just white people. No, I think white is a pretty arbitrary category. People of European descent. Okay, fair enough. No, it's not an exclusive inheritance of that. All right, so this is where green is, you know, try, oh, you don't really believe that uh, people of color should have these things, right? You, you don't believe that. But, of course, he, he, he does a good job getting around that. Green, one beef in the Claremont universe is what you call conservatism, Inc., the professional class conservatives who do panel discussions and run multi-million dollar think tanks that produce white papers that ultimately don't lead to anything, in your view. You guys are basically a think tank, too. Why aren't, why aren't you just a slightly different version of Conservatism, Inc.? Now, this is interesting because Claremont is Conservatism, Inc. I mean, the people that write for him are Conservatism, Inc. Now, they're not National Review, but you've got Claremont scholars at National Review. Cameron Hilditch, for example, and these people get out into all of these organizations, they are conservatism, Inc. They're just trying to play like they're not so they can get some of the people that are against big conservatism on their side, but Claremont is certainly part of it. That's the sad thing about all of this. Fair enough. Our target is not only to say that good work doesn't go on in all large conservative think tanks, but we think we're in a real regime crisis now. Our political elites and cultural and corporate institutions seem to believe in a way of doing government that is fundamentally at odds with the original founding view, or even the view of Lincoln. No, it's not. No, it's right in line with what Lincoln would want. <laughs> Can you see, this is where these people just can't, they can't help themselves. They can't help to be ridiculous. I mean, I could say, yeah, all right, I'm on board. Oh, then it's Lincoln. Then it's the I, then it's the proposition nation. Then it's, you've just capitulated to the left. I mean, I could get on board with a lot of ways, and then it's this. Even Lincoln. Lincoln believed and and strong he was willing to sacrifice the Constitution to save the Union, quote unquote. Willing to do it, and he did it. So what's the difference between that and the progressives? Nothing. In fact, Lincoln's their guy too. But no, 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 he's not, because we're on the right. We're saying Lincoln's our guy, and equality we have to define. This this is where this stuff is ridiculous. We disagree on what men and women are, on what human nature is, what rights are. That's a real crisis. We would love if our bigger brethren focused exclusively on what we think are the real threats. Identity politics, this ideology of anti-racism and wokeness, which you said we'll get to. The notion that borders are anachronistic and even racist. And that citizenship is global rather than national. That China is our main rival, the rise of big tech. Let's talk about identity politics and being woke, Green says. People throw terms around a lot, and they can obscure more than they illuminate. What do you actually mean when you say stand against them? 
There are a few strands. The most ascendant one right now seems to be critical theory, which was born in France in the 1960s and migrated to American universities. It has birthed all of these academic centers, gender studies, anti-colonialism, African-American studies. It has some core tenets. There's no such thing as truth in politics. It's all about narratives and power, and we can't know truth fundamentally. There's no such thing as natural rights. Politics is making sure discrete identity groups, especially the ones who've been oppressed over time, now have an opportunity to express themselves. That means deconstructing and disrupting what the, was the dominant narrative for a long time, which was the founder's regime of natural rights. One of the institutional vehicles for it was the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which, which was meant to fulfill the promise of the Declaration of Independence for black Americans coming out of segregation. Well, not necessarily the Declaration, but uh, of the Constitution, right? I mean, so, or the Bill of Rights, but okay. But the courts and administrative agencies quickly turned against the colorblind equal opportunity vision of the founding and toward affirmative action. This calculation of current oppressor or past oppressor and the pursuit of equity and social justice. Now this seems to mean that we're not really not going to be where we need to be until all groups are equally represented and have the same outcomes for, say, home ownership, wealth, the proportion of CEOs or members of Congress. That seems to be the goal of wokeism. Green, I take it that you would not disagree with the basic spirit of the civil rights movement which was to disrupt the legal regime of racism enforced by the state, primarily against black Americans. Williams, no, I don't disagree with that. But you do, Green, but you do disagree with how you see this manifest on the left today. Do you see an alternative vision of what racial justice or equity, equality, or whatever term you use should look like in 2021? How should we address continuing legally sanctioned discrimination, assuming you think such a thing exists? So this is an important point. This is the gotcha. The left always does this. Well, so you... Well, you don't agree with the civil rights movement. Yes, I do. Well, but you don't really, because if you did, then you would be on board with what we're doing right now. Well, if it's the declaration, if we're if we're going toward the vision, he says it, the colorblind equal opportunity vision and the declaration. Well, where does that stop, Williams? Where does that stop? Where do you stop it? He says, a true regime of non-discrimination is when the state cannot disadvantage or advantage any group based on the skin color or ethnicity. That's the original promise of the Declaration of Independence. It is, in many ways, a colorblind constitution. The counter from the left is that there's systemic racism that's built up over the years by certain legal systems. I would have to see some real proof of that. The main evidence seems to be that there are disparate results, thus there's systemic racism. Green, let's take one po concrete policy example. The prison system in the United States disproportionately incarcerates black, incarcerates black men. Reasons for this include laws about, around sentencing, such as three-strike rules or the possession of certain drugs being uh, punished more harshly than others. This is an area of policy where the left and the right disagree fundamentally about the role race has played in the creation of the current uh, penal system. So I guess the question is, in your vision of America, is this a problem? Is it a problem caused by racism? Williams, it would depend on what is driving the disparate results, we would have to have a separate separate out the extent to which sentencing is truly discriminatory, and it ought not to be if it is, and the extent to which the high incarceration rate of black Americans is due to their much higher propensity to commit violent crime. Until we can talk about that, if we can acknowledge that on the left and the right, it would be a wrongful starting point to try to dig into some of these issues you're talking about, like the different classification of drugs being more associated with one group or another. We have to start, though, with the acknowledgement that a lot more blacks are in prison because they commit violent crimes at a much higher rate than Americans of other races. Whites commit violent crime at a much higher rate than Asians do, so I don't mean to suggest a racial crime hierarchy. It's just a fact we have to acknowledge. 
So then I, I don't want to focus on this thing of crime, right? But they get into this stuff with discrimination and what Williams thinks about that. Again, if you're going to believe, though, in the proposition nation, then Green is operating from a position of strength here. And Williams doesn't even realize it's happening because it's the treasury of counterfeit virtue. Well, you're saying the Declaration matters. All men are created equal, right? All people, all men and women, if it's the Seneca Falls Convention, which is in 26 speeches that changed America, all men and women are created equal. If you believe that, then how can you be against these things? Well, because, you know, I mean, this is... But see, you lose the argument because you've already conceded the field. You've already conceded the field. Right? What do they actually mean by that? Well, certainly equality under the law. I think Williams has a nice example, a nice uh, nice uh, effort here to try to say, well, it's under the law. I mean, this is what we have to worry about here. Equality under the law, not equality of outcome. He's right about that. But the thing is, if you keep touting the Declaration you're going to lose because Green is going to punch it apart. People like Green. They're going to punch it apart. Green. Glenn Elmer's essay wrote an essay for the American Mind about why the Claremont Institute isn't conservative. One of the things he writes is that some people reading in the United States, certainly more than half, are not Americans in any recognizable sense. What does it mean to declare that more than half of the people reading in this country are not truly American? Williams, Glenna was, of course, being provocative and polemical. But if Claremont thinks real Americanism is a belief in the principles of the American founding, we have to acknowledge that a good portion of our fellow citizens don't agree with our principles and conclusions about what politics is for. If we differ on those fundamental things, we're really two Americas. Even during the Civil War, I think we're more divided now than we were then. As Lincoln said, we all prayed to the same God, we all believed in the same Constitution, we just differed over the question of slavery. Well, but Lincoln was wrong about that. That wasn't the difference. Uh, there was a lot more differences there. But certainly I do agree that we're probably more divided than we were in the 1860s just because of cultural division. Even though the cultural divisions were pretty pronounced in the 1860s too, if you really look at it objectively. Green says, This picture you're painting of unity around a certain set of ideas, principles, and beliefs about the nature of God and man doesn't feel accurate to the founding conditions of the United States. America was founded as a place where people who had really out their ideas could come and live peaceably in a geographic proximity to one another, eventually governed under a shared constitution. Lots of religious radicals were involved. America was founded on the principle that people needed to tolerate one another, but no more. How is that different from today when we are continuing to experience turmoil over who we are and what we believe and what our orientation as a nation should be? We'll see here she's operating from a national position. So is the Claremont Institute. William says, well, most of the founders of America were Christians. They were radicals, to be sure, but there was much more consensus back then on what human nature is, on monotheism, broadly speaking, but really Christianity as well. Of course, Maryland was a bunch of Catholics who wanted their own place. Well, what about all the Puritans who Southerners didn't want to be around? The shining city upon a hill, what about the pilgrims who were essentially booted out of England and then ended up in Spain and the Netherlands, and then eventually sailed over here from that. But there was much more consensus on what government ought to do to secure the blessings of liberty and natural rights. Natural rights, no. Liberty, yes. First among them was freedom of conscience, your freedom to worship as you see fit. I will reject your assertion that pluralism ruled the day in the founding. Pluralism is a term that comes up much later in the American tradition, but it's not true. Pluralism did rule the day of the founding. They talked about it openly. They said it openly. We've got different people in different places. They said it. 
The whole federal system was designed to be pluralistic. They said it. See, this is where Williams can't get it. This is where Williams can't get it. This is this is the most frustrating part of the Claremont people, that they just don't see what they're saying. They don't get it. They don't really understand the founding and who these people were. They were not unified group thinkers. They had different views on all kinds of things. You could have state-established churches in New England, but not in the rest of the, of the United States. That was the whole design. You could have a system in the South that was different than the system in the North, in the mid-Atlantic states. That was the design of the entire system. That's what federal is all about. So, anyways, this is where uh, I would say that Claremont just doesn't get it, and it's the real problem of the Straussians, the West Coast Straussians, and the Claremont people. They just don't get what they're saying. They don't realize they're punting and they're conceding the field. And if we continue to do that, we're gone. you got to take a stand and say, you know what? Uh, federalism was the key to all of this. But it doesn't, it's all about national policy and national this, and Lincoln said that, and uh, Lincoln said this. He's their guy, too. In reality, he's the left's guy, too. That's the problem. All right. Well, this interview goes on a lot longer, and I don't really want to get into the rest of it because a lot of it has to do with uh, policy issues that I don't really want to talk about. But uh, if you can do anything, take Claremont with a grain of salt. Some things they say are right. Some things they say are, are pretty good and interesting. But a lot of it, when it gets into the history stuff and Lincoln, and it's horrible. It's really bad history. And that's the real issue I have with Claremont Institute and the people at Claremont Institute because they don't see the problems with their own positions. Now, what they would say to me is, well, then, if you don't believe, I mean, then do you believe in slavery? Do you believe in racism? Well, of course not. That should be, that should not even, why are they asking me that as a fellow conservative or libertarian? Why were they asking me that? See, I'm not accusing them of believing in these things. What I'm accusing them in is believing in a fairy tale. It doesn't exist. And when you do that, because it is a fairy tale, people are going to punch holes in it very quickly as Green was trying to do here, and I think at times hit some pretty good barbs. So anyways, hope you enjoyed this week at the Brian McClanahan Show. If you want to get me for a fifth podcast, head on over to abbevilleinstitute.org. I do the podcast there once a week. It's always up on Friday or Saturday. So that's a fifth podcast. It's all things Southern. It's uh, different than this podcast and the, the topics that I cover exclusively for that website. But anyways, if you want the fifth Brian McClanahan Show of the week, head over there. I'll see you next week at the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.